Hello. Today we're playing part one of a presentation Dr. Jeffrey Guild gave at a wonderful living facility in McKinney. He talked about balance, falls, dizziness, vertigo, and joint problems, and so much more. We actually filmed this presentation and put it up on YouTube. So if you're listening on the podcast version, I really recommend watching the video version instead, since there are a lot of visual demonstrations Dr. Guild does. You can find it by typing Optimove Physical Therapy into YouTube and selecting the video with the same title as this podcast episode. If you're having trouble, call or text 214-712-8242 and we'll be happy to send you the direct link so that you can just click on it. The number again is 214-712-8242. Without further ado, here's part one of the presentation. Okay, so good. Welcome everybody. So, um... Congratulations on being here. Again, it's, it's acting proactively, right? To prevent a problem before it happens, or if it's happened, then you want to do whatever you can to prevent again. So congratulations uh, on doing that. So taking the step forward on your health. So to prevent a lot of problems in the future, because that one fall happens and then you've heard the story. But a lot of it, what a lot of people won't tell you though, it's also what, what you do about it after that first fall happens or the second or third fall it's not just the what happens afterwards it's how you respond to what happens afterwards so do you find the solution uh for the problem in other words did you do you find out why you fell and then you find someone who can put a plan forward in place to prevent that fall from happening again because it's not just the fall itself and the downward spiral that happens it's the downward spiral occurs and just keeps going 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 the next fall the next fall the next fall and then the injuries that come with it whereas if you can uh basically halt that immediately then you can prevent a lot of problems you can prevent that slippery slope from happening so that's a huge part about it so um how many of you uh have fallen go raise your hand how many of you know someone who has fallen go and raise your hand right so it's it's an important topic and with the baby boomers coming up it's even more important because soon there's going to be a lot of them who are over the age of 80 the oldest ones are 75 right now in 2021 so um we gotta really get going on this to help uh, prevent a lot of problems for a lot of people so my name is dr jeffrey guild a physical therapist i'm a owner of a optimove physical therapy and wellness basically we empower adults to achieve their optimal movement so that they can live a full fully uh, fulfilling and engaged life right because that's what people want to do they want to be able to get out get out in the community go and play with their kids and grandkids they want to be able to travel as long as they want so that they can live a fulfilled life so my particular specialty is uh, is dizziness and vertigo so of course then i'm a balance specialist basically you can think of on top of that so today we're going to talk about balance and falls so basically we're going to go over some great content uh, make sure that this is a great fit for you uh, for this content and to empower you to make a great decision. Um, you know, if it's if it's not up your alley, that's okay. But um, we'll give you an offer at the end so we can get you some more information. Cause that, that's basically what we're offering is more information so that you can continue to keep learning through this process. So, so we're going to talk about why the how the balance system works and why people tend to have problems. We're going to talk about the factors that are most associated with falls. And so this is based on peer reviewed research, uh, from very high quality studies. So why this happens and then what can be done about it. We're going to talk about the root cause of balance problems. And then we're going to talk about solutions. And the main thing here is individualized solutions. This is not a cookie cutter process where you just 
give someone exercises uh, generically on YouTube or hand them a sheet of paper and say, here's our balance exercise. Here's your balance exercises. They needed to be individualized because there's different reasons or many different reasons why an individual person falls. And the key there is an individual person. So we can't just provide a cookie cutter approach to this. It's not like a hip replacement where you go into rehab afterwards. And for the most part, 98%, you know, you know, at least at the beginning stage, 98% of it is going to be the same for most people. Um, forgive me, uh, orthopedic specialists, if, uh, when they hear this, but it's, you know, it's going to be mostly the same, right? If it's a knee or a hip replacement, at least at the beginning, but falling is much more individualized and comprehensive. So, and it also creates a lot of problems in the healthcare system because there isn't a, okay, this is the protocol, this is the procedure, right? So that's why balance and falling is such a problem. So of course we want to know why people struggle with this and why it's such a huge problem um, throughout the healthcare system. And so one of the problems of course is the healthcare system itself because balance and falls is so complicated, the kind of traditional checkbox approach that's going on in healthcare right now, you hear the stories, you've seen it, you've experienced it, you go in, you spend only five minutes with the doctor and then they're out the door again. Not the doctor's fault, they're being incentivized by by the hospital system, Medicare, the insurance companies, everything. I even heard one story about uh, someone tapping their foot uh, right outside the door to shoo the doctor along to the next visit. In physical therapy, right? Yes. One of our 91-year-old client told us that story. And this is someone she's been with for a long time, but the doctor's practice got bought out by a large healthcare system, right? Well, why do they get bought out? Because there's so much red tape in healthcare. You can't have a small independent business now and expect to be able to keep your doors open in healthcare. So that's why all these big healthcare companies are buying up all these independent practices. And so if you're going to stay in that traditional model, you have no choice but to basically have everything run by a much larger company that can take on all the red tape. So that's why this is happening. Um, that's why the doctor only spends five minutes with you. That's why the physical therapist is seeing three or four other people at the same time when you go in for physical therapy, not the physical therapist's fault they're being pulled into the office and said, uh, your productivity isn't high enough. You're not seeing enough people. You got to be able to see three or four people at one time. And then the physical therapist is saying, well, like we're working on balance and all these other things like safety is an issue. And you know, like we're working on falling in order to really get the best out of their treatment with us. It needs to be more one-on-one. Nope. You need to see three or four people at one time to get your productivity up. Doctors are the same way. Physical therapists are the same way. And so we have this checkbox system in healthcare right now that we have to overcome. So, um, so basically, of course, the overpackaging of healthcare as well. Parkinson's is a great example of that. I'll sidetrack that though. So, but basically we want an individualized approach to this problem. So basically now, but we have alternative solutions for that. So now because this problem has been going on for so long, we, we want to create a novel approach for people. And so that they have different options other than just the traditional healthcare model. So those individualized solutions work and we work with our clients on a regular basis. And what they're able to do is they're able to go from a point of having that first fall and then decline, 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 decline to they have that, they might have that first fall and we get to them immediately and we start ramping them back up and we find out why they fell 
and we get them going back and engaging in their life again. That's really what we want to do. So, and some of our clients, they're able to get back to things that they haven't done in five or 10 years. And that's a very actually common with us because we're able to keep working with our clients over the long term and focus on what they really want to do. And I even had one client recently who is 90. She is able to do something she has not done in 60 years. Excuse me, which was looking up. She has not looked up in 60 years since an auto accident because when she would do it, she would get dizzy and, uh, and knocked off balance. Mm-hmm. Now she can. That's right. Okay, so then what do we the miss about falling? So falling is just a part of getting older. How many of we of us have heard that one? Right? You're dizzy, just drink more water. We hear that from the doctors all the time. It it's good advice on the front end of it because you rule out dehydration, which is a common problem with older people. Uh but it's it's just an initial question and it's usually the only thing that people come away with. Strength is usually blamed. Um, core weakness is often blamed. This just comes with age, of course, is the most common. So when we look at the research, these are the factors that are most associated with falling. And this is according to diff six different large studies where they look at a bunch of different high quality studies. So meta-analyses where they put a lot of great research together. And basically these are the most associated factors. You notice age is not one of these factors listed. So exercising, history of falls, medications, use of assistive devices, whether they use them or not. Again, these are associated factors or not cause, but if you use a cane or a walker, there's an increased association with falling. Okay. Uh, how good the person's balance is, whether they have dizziness or vertigo, uh, fear of falling is huge. We'll talk about that. Uh, if their walking has changed or if they have problems with their walking, what's their home environment like, uh, whether they can dress and take care of themselves. Uh, and if they have cognitive challenges as well, Parkinson's is associated with falls as well and frailty. We'll talk about frailty. This is very important. So of course, these are all preventable. So that's the good news. Age is not one of the factors associated on this list. But we, w we do want to know why. And so we, you need an individualized approach, get coaching, get problem solving, because it is so complex. It is so comprehensive. And so we want to find out why people are falling and get them on the right path, the right journey and moving forward and work on all the bumps in the road along the way as well. So we can develop a specific plan so that people can be active and independent in their homes so they can have increased self-reliance and self-worth to reduce the risk of ending up in a nursing home and getting back to the things that they haven't done in five or 10 years. These, these things do happen when we dedicate ourselves to them. Uh, the other factors that we haven't talked, that were not in the research by see clinically are so leg power. So it's not just about strength. It's not just how much weight you can move with your legs, but also how quickly you can move it. So a simple example here is how quickly can you stand up from a chair? 
So it's not just whether you can stand up from the chair or not, or whether you can do it without using your hands, but how quickly can you just pop up from the chair? That's like power, which is gives you more dynamic with your environment, allows you to respond more quickly when you lose your balance. And so it's something to take into consideration and put into the, the regular training process. And it's so simple to do, simply standing up quickly from the chair rather than standing up slowly. Now, then there's the additional problem of, well, it's not the power, it's my joints. So a solution to that is pump your ankles, lift your leg up and down, get your joints moving, kick your knee out. That's going to increase the lubrication in your joints because we have natural lubrication in our joints that increases in our joints when we move them. And so if we move our joints first, then they're already lubricated when we go to stand up rather than stand up and then struggle, right? Struggle getting going because we're stiff. Or if even, even Anmar and I, our, our wonderful producer, right? If we sit for a long time, we stand up, we're stiff. It doesn't matter how old we are. We're stiff because we've been sitting for so long, there's, there's no lubrication in our joints. So it's not sufficient enough to, for us to just get up and go. Yes. Oh, great question. Ooh, I like that. Uh, she is smart. I love it. So, so bone on bone, common term. And how many of you have been told that you're bone on bone? A membrane way. I've never heard that one. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, I had surgery for it. Yes. Yes. So almost, almost everybody over the, I mean, I shouldn't say, a lot of people over the age of 60 or whatever are told you're bone on bone. They have a joint issue. You do an x-ray, it's a still dry uh, image. It's literally, uh, you know, radiographs moving through an, an image. It's, it's just a picture. What's not factored in is the lubrication fluid around the joint. Uh, what's also factored in is are the buffers that are there. It's a living, breathing organism that allows you to move. When you put weight into your legs, the x-ray is not necessarily there to take in all those other factors, does not take into consideration the torques and pulls of all the muscles and tendons and ligaments on that joint. And so what you get is someone... You can look at the image, but it doesn't necessarily tell you for sure about how they actually move in their daily life. I have a client who's, she's almost, she, yeah, she's, she's past 70 now. When I first met her, she was labeled as bone on bone. I looked at her x-ray, it looked really bad, but she, she basically was, she got to the point where she could squat down with a 45 pound barbell like that, almost with her hips down to knee level and she was labeled as bone on bone. How do we get there? We improved her ankle motion. We reduced her inner, her inner thighs were tight. So her inner thighs were pulling her knees in like that. Uh, the, a large tendon on the outside of her leg was very tight. So we released that. We taught her how to move. We taught her how to sit back behind her knees as she squats rather than the knees moving forward. We make sure that the knees don't turn in because when we turn the knees in it, closes the joint even more, we activate the hip mu muscles properly and rotate the knees out. So all these little details make all the difference in the world. That's, I I'll let you, I'll let you say that. I love that. So, uh, so in case you guys didn't hear, so it's to scare people into the surgery. Yeah. 
hip replacement, knee replacement. And that same exact uh, individual that I told you about who squatted with the 45-pound barbell, she came to me with the idea of, can you train me for a knee replacement? That makes sense? Because we were were talking about that in the Pilates water class I was telling you guys about. I was talking about, so yes, if you're going to have a joint replacement, training ahead of time for that is very, very good. The evidence supports your outcome is much better. And so she came to me with that idea. And here we are, almost a decade later, she's never, had never had any replacement. She's, do, she's doing great. And so if an exercise-based approach helps solve a lot of problems. Now, here's, what, here's the other thing that exercise-based approach does. It provides clarity. It, if you start with the exercise-based approach, you go with somebody who can correct your movement. They're, adju- they're addressing the flexibility, the inner thigh tightness, the, the fact that the ankles don't move very far, the fact that the uh, hip is actually really weak and isn't providing the necessary amount of torque to pull the knee outward so the knee just falls in and closes down all the time, which then causes knee pain. It hap- By the way, I get this too. How do I... And then... I'll go and I'll do a stretch or a strengthening exercise. I'll get my hips activated. I'll stretch what is tight. I'll do the same movement and the pain is gone. And so these are the things that we can do. Now, on the other end of it, I'm also the, both as a fitness professional and as a physical therapist, also a big promoter of joint replacements when it's time, when you're ready. And I don't know. It used to be you'd hear doctors say, well, just wait until you can't take it anymore, right? And then people can take pain for a long time. And you'd have people go on for years and years and years. They gain 20 or 40 more pounds, and then they're going in hobbling. They can't stand it anymore. And on top of that, they've aged another 10 or 20 years. So now they're more medically complex because they're older. And now they're medically complex because... Uh, not only because they're older, but they haven't been moving as much. And they might be doing general exercise, which is good, but you have to figure out the specific cause of that knee or hip pain. So on the other end of it, I'm also a big fan of joint replacements sooner rather than later, but it's a good idea to see if you can solve the problem first through an exercise-based approach. And then when that doesn't work, it's like, okay, let's go get the joint replacement. One of the few surgeries I... I, I do tend to get people to do, I do, I do have a friend who I told her for probably about 10 or 15 years, just get your knees replaced, get your knees replaced, get your knees replaced. She wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. She walked like this, you know, she got her knees replaced walking normal, you know? So it is a combination of both, but yes, that, so the bone on bone phrase is something we hear all the time. And unfortunately people hear all the time. And the problem with it is it's so generic, just like what we talked about before. It's not an individualized approach. It's a just standard, yep, bone on bone. This is pretty much what I tell if you're the the orthopedic doctor or whoever. Yep, this is why I tell however many people every single day because almost everybody comes to us and says, well, my doctor says I'm bone on bone as if they're the only one who's been told this. That's the other bad part. It's like, well, actually, that's pretty normal to be told that past a certain age. The question is, what can we do about that to help empower you to be able to move better? So, um, so with arthritis or once we have a diagnosis of arthritis, well then, okay, it's time for 
injections and knee replacements and everything else. So, but there's lots, lots of things that can be done about arthritis, um, even with the diagnosis of arthritis that where people can really live a lot, uh, live a lot longer, um, and move better without getting the surgery for it. Any other questions, thoughts, opinions, stories? So if you get a joint replacement, so if everything goes as planned, you, I like to tell people that, well, your knee is newer than mine. Move it. Yes. You, with it, it's a long haul, but certainly like a year later, you should be able to do nearly almost anything within, within reason. Yes. So focusing on the, what's around the joint. So see one looking at the alignment is let's just take the knee. For example, is it being rotated in? Is it being pushed in? Is the foot going inward like that and then why are those things happening is there weakness up here that then if the leg isn't falling in and you can't visually see it what's actually happening is as people live life the they're not getting the support here from their hip and then it all the stress goes to the knee so there's lots of things above and below the joint and then even higher that we can correct and so the key is to find those specific things that are happening with the individual person and then correct those and then get going on an exercise based program that the person does on their own and then progresses with that specialist that's able to figure out here's why you're moving like this and why does that make sense right so yeah how much does the restorative medicine work we were helping them with technology earlier so i turned on my phone to, when when we we're we we're showing the uh we we're showing how to use uh the iphone a little bit earlier so yeah all right we'll, we'll turn we'll turn make sure we get that turned back off so i had to turn it on uh, in order to do that now we got to turn it back off but anyway so yeah no the the uh, regenerative medicine so the um you know stem cells and injections and all that sort of stuff you know i I have not seen one that's worked. If that, you know, um, one of the reasons why insurance doesn't cover it. One, one thing I'll, I'll credit insurance and Medicare to, they actually, they look at whether something oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes they're looking at does something supported by peer reviewed evidence to support that it works. So, you know, if this little laser thing is supported by peer reviewed evidence to work, then we'll, we'll look into, covering that but if there's no peer-reviewed evidence support that works then we're not going to cover it then it, you're just paying for it wherever um i have not seen any uh stem cell or restorative type of thing to work i i see every day exercise based approaches to work and it takes longer right eh, not always but it it's the long haul it's like everything else in life if you if you dedicate the time to it and you focus on it and you're steady over the long term, you're going to get the benefit at the end. You pay the dividend, you get the dividend slowly over time, and those dividends continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Same as saving money, same, same as investing, same thing as relationships. You put in the work, you put in the hassle, the problem solving, the, the bumps in the road. You dedicate the time to it. It's amazing what can be accomplished. You get on the right journey, the right path, 
And that's how you can solve that problem, whether it's a joint problem or a balance problem or a dizziness and vertigo problem, all these different things. If it's not always the quick hit, the quick result, sometimes it can be, but it's the recognizing that I realize this is important. I'm going to take, I'm going to tackle it over the long haul. The mental part. It's the behavior part too, right? Oh, we're humans, right? A very advanced uh, thought process on top of a lizard brain. We're human. Um, It's also, it's enjoying the small wins at the beginning as well. So when the knee feels a little bit better or you get the explanation. I was working with a client the other day, horrible knees, uh, 50 years old. Uh, she wanted to be able to step into her husband's truck. So then, (laughs) right? If you have knee problems of any type, and she was not very tall either, (laughs) focusing on the mechanics of, okay, how can we do this in a way that your knee doesn't hurt? How, where do we angle the knee? Where do we put the pressure on the foot? And so just, there's the bumps in the road, it's problem solving through those things. So it's also not just what are the different torques and things that are going on around the joint, uh, the muscle tightnesses and weaknesses, but <coughs> excuse me, but also the um, also the education on the mechanics. What's the best way to stand up from a chair? Right. So. I can bring my feet back like this. It's going to give me better mechanical leverage to stand up, especially if these aren't very strong anymore. If I move them forward, it's going to be much harder to stand up, especially if these aren't as strong. So maybe I should move my feet forward just a little bit more. Maybe I might have to use my hands for a little while and lean forward a little bit more and stand up that way because I'm trying to stand up this way, going upward, but I've got to lean forward. But that scares me to lean that far forward because I'm afraid of falling. But what I don't realize is my body won't, in the vast majority of situations, is not gonna let me fall forward in that situation. Certain diagnoses, certain challenges, yes, that can happen. Vast majority of people, Leaning forward and standing up, they fall because they push backwards and they can't stand up. Yes. Get to the end and then stand up. Absolutely. So on the end of the seat and then stand up most impactful if you so every time if you scoot to the edge of the chair and then stand up that way unbelievable what you'll be able to do so so if i'm relaxing like this and i go to stand up i'm just going to do this now i'm a 37 year old i can squat like 200 pounds i'm going to stand up from here right? I cannot physically stand up from here efficiently. As people get older, it's not just a strength issue. It's a movement issue. They forget how to move. 
especially if they've been in the hospital, especially if they've had some type of physical limitation for a time, especially if they've had a stroke or some other neurological condition that from a neurological perspective affects the, what they, the way they move in general. If they're not moving as much for whatever reason, they forget how to move. And so the simple act of, or they're just not as spry, they're, they're not going to just do this anymore. It's kind of unnatural to scoot forward to the edge of the chair like this, but so important. And if you get in the habit of that, and then you're sitting on the edge of the chair, and then, then you can lean forward and stand up that way. Okay, propris. Uh, back to balance and falls, uh, where we talked about arthritis and, and joint issues. But you know, it's it's a great topic. Um, reacting normally when you lose your balance. So when you how many of you have seen people furniture walking? Furniture walking. They touch things as they walk around the room. Or I just did an evaluation with a, a, a 65-year-old today, very like high function, you know, like good balance and everything else. But then I challenged his balance to the point where he lost it. And his response was reaching for the table, right? And so that 65-year-old who's very high level then turns into a 70, 75-year-old and the, all those other systems decline. And then before you know it, because he's no longer responding the way he should, which is like that, he's now reaching. So he has a behavior problem as well. And that contributes to all of it. On top of a balance problem, he also has a behavior problem. The reason why he's starting to develop a a balance problem at age 65, he's he's a young pup. He has proprioceptive loss. Good point. So the feeling of where your legs are in space. So if I'm here and I close my eyes and if I look up, and I go like this, move one leg over the other, like that, they know not to run into each other somehow magically, right? Our joints have little receptors in them that tell our brain where they are, and that's how they don't run into each other. You got it. So now you gave me the model that we can use to talk to talk about. By the way, proprioceptive loss, very common. We know because we test for it with so many people. Most of the people who we see, because we're usually seeing them for balance problems, proprioceptive loss is one of those problems amongst many. And so their brain is not receiving information about where they are in space. And we're going to talk about in a second here why that's a problem. Perception of age. Um, you guys seem to think you're pretty young. I love it. Keep it going. Uh, if you if you perceive that you're young, you'll tend to stay that way. Um, yes. Uh, specific muscle weaknesses. So, uh, the foundation, so all the things we just talked about with the joints, right? Um, so that's important and can contribute to a balance problem. Okay. Let me go, go through our example here. Okay. So let's get right to what we talked about. So to your example with, with the shower. Okay. So here's the three ways in which we balance. We have our vision, which makes sense. You can see the horizon. You see where everything is. You have the inner ear balance system. How many of you heard of the crystals getting loose that cause vertigo? How many of you have heard about that? Okay. So I the 
the central this uh, inner ear balance system i call it kind of like our central balance system this is our main balance system it basically says it tells our brain where we are in space in relation to gravity so when we walk and we we turn our head we're we're looking for cars we're walking across the street something has to tell our brain where we are so we can stand upright and we can have a conversation we can void a pothole we can walk fast all in a straight line without getting dizzy without getting mixed signals and be able to step up on a curb all at the same time without even thinking about it because that's what we need to be able to do so it's a very complex system and it's wonderful unless if it gets broken or if there's a wrench thrown into it or if it becomes weak um, so that's our central bound system so then you can see the visual of the proprioceptive uh, receptors so all you need to know is you have receptors in every joint that tells you where you are in space so if I close my eyes and I do this how does my finger know where to go in relation to my nose right proprioception the the joint receptors tell our brain where I'm at so I can quite accurately lightly touch my nose with my eyes closed again and again and again proprioception we have this in our legs also what tends to happen is as we get older I would say we're most likely to lose that proprioception a number of reasons in the case of our 65 year old gentleman he'd broken a lot of bones over his years orthopedic problems can cause it um uh, toxicities, things like that, cancer treatment, all sorts of different things can cause proprioceptive loss. Half the time, we don't even know why. We just know it's there. The key is to recognize that it's there. And back to that individualized approach, you're going to take a very, you might take a slightly different approach on somebody with a balance problem if you know that proprioceptive loss is part of it compared to someone where proprioceptive loss is not part of it. So if someone, if you have a proprioceptive loss, you might tell them, yeah, you, you might want to use the railings on the stairs because your legs aren't going to be able to tell where the next step is. So use the railings. Uh, turn on the lights in the house so you can use your vision more to help you walk around. On top of that, we need to work on that vestibular system, that central balance system. We need to make that spectacular because your legs are not telling your brain about where they are in space. So now we need to find a way to compensate for that. So we're going to we're going to focus on your main central balance system. So if we can get you to do something like this and be able to turn your head side to side without losing your balance with your eyes closed, right? I'm getting, yeah. <laughs> so we need to get people to be able to do that at the level at which they can do it in a way that's safe. And that's why it's an individualized approach. It's not a one size fits all approach. We can't just put a bunch of exercises on YouTube or, um, or just hand out a bunch of sheets to everybody and say, do these exercises because it's individual to them. So what questions do you guys have on that? Oh, back to the shower. Yeah. So, so we're in the shower and we close our eyes, right? Okay. So it's slippery for one thing, Ho hopefully not. Hopefully one of those tread things there, but we close our eyes and so now we've removed a third of our balance because now we've taken out vision. If we have a proprioception problem, well, now we have even less. So more than a third of our balance capabilities is removed. Let's say if it's moderately impaired, okay, so one third plus half of one third. I was never good at mental math, but you get the idea, right? 
45%. Thank you, Anmar. <laughs> Our producer's much better at, at I am at math. Yes. I was better with concepts. <laughs> um, so 45% gone already. If we have moderate proprioceptive loss. So it's working and it's there, but it's, eh, it, it's not great. There's 45% of our balance gone already in the shower. On top of that, the vestibular system. Okay, so I'll tell you a quick story about that. So I was 35 years old when I was first on the swing again, probably for the first time in like 15 years with our, my four-month-old little girl and three or four months, whatever she was. So I'm just gently, I'm holding her in a swing and we're gently going back and forth. Now, I was a kid who liked to go on the turtle world, you know, that spinning thing at the amusement park, right? I would go on that thing about like 10 times in a row. And I would ask my 40 year old mother say, Oh, come on, join me. She's like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not doing that. Why did my 40 year old mother refuse to go on the ride with me? <laughs> she would be sick. Why is the 10 year old? Okay. Right. The 10-year-old spent the last 10 years of their life spinning around and making themselves sick, rolling down a hill, saying, Daddy, spin me, spin me, spin me. Mommy, spin me. Going on amusement park rides. It's how we train ourselves. You weren't... Not for that, but you, it's in the form of play. Just like the way we play in socialization so you could bring in an educator here and, you know, they could tell you all about how children use play to learn and develop and all that stuff, right? So as a vestibular specialist, they spin, the children spin themselves around. They enjoy doing that. In the form of play, they develop that balance system. And that has to carry on into adulthood. So then when we become adults, we might as well go on to the next slide. Actually, play the video? Yeah, I might as well just we might as well just do this. So I'll show you guys an example of what children do. So that's our daughter Eliana. Thank you. Yes, sit, sit and spin, absolutely. And that's our son, Ryan. He's one and a half. Our daughter's three. This is what children do. You guys know this better than I do. It is fun. <laughs> it's fun to get dizzy. Yeah, is it? good point. So it's fun to get dizzy when you're young, yes. It doesn't hurt to fall down. You fall down a thousand times, you get back up and you walk again. So our, our son, I mean, just kept falling and falling. You get back up, you do it again. You don't have to worry about breaking anything. You're... Uh, your bones are so packed with collagen that they're just bendable so you don't break. So you can fall down a thousand times and get back up. Well, we can't do that with, with our with our 85-year-olds. We have to introduce it in a safe way. We can't just spin them around in a circle. Well, with one client I recently did, but that's because her neck was completely fused, so I couldn't move her head. So I, I would spin her around, but I couldn't give that to her as an exercise by herself, right? So 
Um, so as children, we play, and it's fun. Uh, to, to the other comment, yes. Yeah, so uh, in college, we we drink uh, uh, beverages that makes us spin, and uh, I guess that that's fun and all that. So it's a neurological suppressant. So one of the first things affected is the vestibular system, our balance system. So that's why our balance is off. Yes, Emmer. Yes. Is that fifty percent? Oh wow. Okay, I stand corrected. Okay, so fit. <laughs> Nobody wants math. <laughs> so it. So back to the shower. We have. Our eyes closed, so it's a third of our balance. And then on top of that, if we have moderate proprioceptive loss, that's 50% of our balance system gone. So that's the shower. Okay, we haven't even looked at the vestibular system yet. As we get older, we raise children, we work, we live an active lifestyle, we do all those things. Oh yeah, back to my story. So I'm swinging with our daughter. I'm, I was 35 at the time. I was getting sick and nauseous. I had not been on a swing in 15 years. I had not spun myself around on purpose in 15 years. Well, one time when I was reading a vestibular textbook, but then I immediately stopped because, and then I had to recover for about 10 minutes. Um, these systems deteriorate because we don't use them. It's the, if you don't use it, you lose it principle. And the same thing goes with the vestibular system. So as we get older, life tends to slow down. We're not running around as much as, as fast as we used to. Maybe we're not physically as active as we once were. Maybe we're more physically active once we retire. Like my parents, I'm, I'm grateful for that. They become more physically active uh, as they've gotten older. Um, but also what, ten, what happens is more years have gone by since we've done all that play as children and so that vestibular system gets weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker, even if we're physically active. Now, if we're physically active, it helps incredibly to keep that system stronger. But by the time we get into 85, 90 years old, we run into a lot of people who are very active, but they still need a tune-up, if that makes sense. They still might have a part that's off. We need to strengthen them very specifically. What questions you guys have? Oh, yeah. So, and then let's say if their vestibular system is weak, you're taking a system where you're already 50% gone and you're in the shower with your eyes closed. And then if you're 85 or 80, you have a vestibular system that's not as good as it was when it was 40. So then how, how much of your balance capacity do you really have? in the shower with your eyes closed when you're 80 years old. And so that's why something as simple as washing your hair in the shower is such a problem. And you can, you can feel it, right? You can feel it. Mm -hmm. Right. Hmm. good strategy. It works. Keep doing in, in that case, it's a good strategy. So one foot on one side of the tub, one foot on the other side of the tub. And then maybe it's, you know, you have a built in shower chair. 
So you sit when you take a shower, maybe. You have a detachable, there's all sorts of solutions. Great compensation strategy. Thank you for bringing that up. So yes, so orthostatic hypotension, big fancy word for your blood pressure drops when you stand up. Uh, why this happens, it can be because of blood pressure medication. Uh, so if that's happening, talk to your doctor. That's why your doctor is a good person to talk to about it. It can be blood pressure related. It can be, oftentimes we'll see it when people don't move enough. So they just sit all day long and they just don't move enough and they'll, they'll get that. So their blood pressure drops when they stand up or their, our physiology does not respond as quickly as it used to, shall we say, as we get older. Um, I don't accept a lot of things come with age. This is one of them. Our physiology just does not adapt like get used to when we stand up or move from lying down to sitting up and then from sitting to standing. So yes, the, the advice of, yeah, just wait a little bit and wait for the system to equal itself out. So just, uh, get started a little bit slower. Great advice. Stand up, wait a second get your bearings. As I like to tell people, let the blood pressure equal out, get balanced. And then when you're ready, then you can go. So then if you, something does happen, the chair's right there. You can, it's not a catastrophe. And of course then, or if you're just, you feel dizzy, then you can just sit right back down. I've had, um, people they'll get up and going and all of a sudden they'll be to the point of almost blacking out and they're already halfway across the room you know, because they just stood up and got going and not waited. So yes, if you have that problem of the dizziness when sitting down to standing up, it's great advice. Just wait for a little bit, wait for all that to calm down. Don't till you're not dizzy and then go. It can be blood pressure related, um, or a bunch of different things. So, um, there's a diff- bunch of different solutions for that. So, yeah, age related. So age related changes. So our physiology not adjusting as quickly as it used to. Um, now the age related changes doesn't explain all. It doesn't explain our 88 year old who has Alzheimer's disease, who can do this, stand like this, and move his head side to side with his eyes closed. Very very advanced because he's been working on it for a long time. He was he wasn't there when we found him but he can do that now because he's been working on it. He has Alzheimer's disease. It's not like it's not consciously learned because he doesn't necessarily remember one session to the next, but we can, we can take people in their eighties and nineties and make their, their, uh, system much stronger. Specific, uh, vestibular disorders throughout life can be a problem. So an inner ear balance infection, this is not the middle inner ear, like of the children with the, you know, tubes and whatever else, you know, everybody thinks about. It's a deep, deep inner ear infection that results in severe dizziness and vertigo, uh, more common than what people would think. Vertigo itself, we'll talk about vertigo here in a second. Um, and so Meniere's disease and all sorts of other problems can can cause it can cause a lot of problems. And people will get this throughout life, and our healthcare system has not done a good job of dealing with these specific disorders. And so people will then carry on with those diagnoses throughout life. So good. So that's part one of the presentation. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we'll see you on part two next week. Hey everybody. This is the producer, Anmar, here. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. 
If you want to subscribe to the Optimove podcast, head to www.podcast.optimovedfw.com. That's where you'll find links to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Once again, that's www.podcast.optimovedfw.com. To learn more about Optimove, our practice, go to www.optimovedfw.com. And lastly, if you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, give us a call at 214-712-8242. That's 214-712-8242. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.